Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and healthcare with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. A new poll finds the scandals surrounding Governor Andrew Cuomo have taken a toll. While New Yorkers continue to believe the Democrats did a good job leading the state through the COVID-19 pandemic, most people polled believe the multiple women who have accused Cuomo of sexual harassment and do not think the governor should run for office again. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports. Siena College spokesman Steve Greenberg says the poll delivers some good news to a governor involved in several scandals, including sexual harassment allegations and accusations that he covered up the number of nursing home deaths during the pandemic. Cuomo is facing investigations by state and federal officials. Most leading politicians in the state, Democrats and Republicans, have called on him to resign. But by a two-to-one margin, New Yorkers support the way Cuomo has handled the pandemic so far and Slightly more than half, 51 percent, say he should not step down and can continue to do his job effectively. Greenberg says those opinions have been unchanged for several months. Since November, voters have, by a two-to-one margin essentially, liked the job that Governor Cuomo is doing to address the pandemic with the exception of nursing homes, of course. 70% think the governor did a poor job of making public the number of nursing home deaths. Greenberg says other bad news in the poll includes the lowest favorability rating ever for Cuomo. 52% say they don't like the governor. That is the worst favorability rating Andrew Cuomo has ever had in a Siena College poll uh, in more than 15 years since he's been governor, attorney general, and even before that. 44% believe the multiple women who say Cuomo sexually harassed them. 22% do not think the governor sexually harassed anyone, and around one-third, 34% are undecided. Just one-third think the governor should be re-elected to a fourth term in office, with Democrats split on the issue. The governor is also involved in two other controversies. He's accused of potentially violating the state's public officer's law when he used staff to help him write a book on his management of the pandemic and of favoring family and friends with access to scarce COVID tests at the height of the pandemic last spring. Cuomo denies he did anything improper in either of those cases. The governor, asked about the poll results in a press briefing, says he's baffled by the findings. I don't know what that means. I don't know how people can say, I think you're doing a good job, but uh, the favorable goes down. So, you know, they do these polls all the time. I tell you the truth, I don't put too much stock uh, into them. Since the scandals broke, the governor has conducted a number of carefully crafted events, often at mass vaccination sites. They feature longtime friends and allies and the small number of elected officials who have not called for his resignation. Media is barred from the events, but invited guests praise Cuomo for his leadership abilities. In Zoom or phone calls with reporters, the governor accepts just a handful of questions. He rarely answers ones from journalists who are assigned to cover him. Greenberg says the 
the damage control strategy has so far been effective. He wants to continue to focus attention on the pandemic. One, it's where the voters think he's doing well. And two, we all know the pandemic is top of mind for virtually every New Yorker. He says the governor's attempts to minimize and deflect bad stories also seems to be working in Cuomo's favor. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. New York State Controller Tom DiNapoli is pushing back against claims from Governor Andrew Cuomo's spokesperson that a recent referral to the state attorney general is politically motivated piling on. The Legislative Gazette's Ian Pickus reports. On Monday, DiNapoli sent a letter to Attorney General Tish James authorizing her to begin a probe of Governor Cuomo's pandemic book deal and whether he used government staff to write the COVID-19 memoir. All three are Democrats. Cuomo spokesman Rich Azapardi says the idea there was criminality involved here is patently absurd and questioned the motives of both DiNapoli and James, who he said have discussed running for governor themselves. DiNapoli addressed the situation on WAMC's Capital Connection with Alan Shartok Wednesday. We do the job that we're elected to do here at the Controller's Office, and we take that responsibility seriously. And, uh, you know, certainly in the case of, of, you know, some of the questions that came up after we did the referral to the Attorney General, you know, that, that, that was done after much thought and very consistent with what people expect us to do, to ask the important questions. Uh, I, 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 I think I'm the least politically calculating of any of the players that are around these days and uh, too old to change in that regard. And, uh, you know, uh, I think my work stands on on its own. It has since 2007 when I started as controller. DiNapoli said the office is apolitical. We're a professional shop here. Most of our employees are civil service. I don't know whether they're Republicans or Democrats. And when we make a decision on, on an audit or a policy or referral, whatever we're doing, a report, you know, we're calling it as we see it. That's what people expect from the controller. As for the referral itself. We felt that those allegations were serious enough uh, to warrant a further review. DiNapoli added, if there's nothing amiss or inappropriate, then there's nothing for anybody to be worried about. DiNapoli also said he plans to run for re-election in 2022 as controller. My plan uh, has been to run for re-election as state controller. Uh, I haven't seen a reason to change that plan thus far. Later in the interview, DiNapoli was asked whether he stands by an earlier statement calling on Governor Cuomo to resign amid multiple sexual harassment allegations. Like some others, I, you know, my concern is for the, the, the state navigating through a challenging time. And um, that's no that's no presumption on, on on innocence, guilt or, you know, on on the substance of, of some of what's been raised. But, um, uh, you know, I, I think in terms of what the states need in terms of un, undistracted leadership right now, I, I think that would be in the best interest of the state. So, you know, uh, not going to say more about it than that. Cuomo denies touching anybody inappropriately but apologized for making people feel uncomfortable in conversations. The allegations are the subject of an impeachment inquiry in the Assembly and an investigation under the auspices of Attorney General James. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Ian Pickus.
You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok. Alan, as we just heard, you had a conversation with Tom DiNapoli, the state controller this week, where he had sent a letter to the Attorney General Tish James authorizing an investigation into the governor's use of staff to work on his book that he wrote during the pandemic on leadership. The Cuomo administration says his staff volunteered to do that on their own time. Nonetheless, in the interest of disclosure, the governor's spokesperson, Rich Azapardi, a former student of yours, struck back, said that he had jumped the shark, that this was all politically motivated. And he said, absolutely not. We do the job that we're elected to do here in the controller's office, and we take that responsibility seriously. As a party hinted that both Comptroller DiNapoli and A.G. James had been looking to run and talking to people about running for governor, something you didn't give up on with DiNapoli. No, we really, we really pushed him. I love this guy. Tom DiNapoli is, in my opinion, the finest public servant in New York State that I have seen. He is not a rhetorician in the way of an Andrew Cuomo, uh, but uh, he makes a great deal of sense. He's done a terrific job as controller, which he's done for quite a while. You know, it may come down to a choice between Tom DiNapoli and Tish James. There have been people who have been writing that Cuomo wants a crowded field in the primary if there is going to be a primary and that everybody will cancel each other out. You know, Andrew Cuomo is facing a lot of trouble here. But the idea from my friend Richard as a party, (laughs) it's pretty funny, that they've jumped the shark. Wait, 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 wait. When Andrew Cuomo was attorney general, did he go after Elliot Spitzer or Alan Hevesy? He did. You go where you're supposed to go. I mean, look, these are all politicians. They may well run for political office themselves. But you better believe that this is going to go forward. DiNapoli went out front and he said Cuomo should leave. That was quite something. I was surprised because DiNapoli is not a guy who just says rash things. You know, he's a pretty sedate guy and he's done a terrific job, as I say, as controller, counting up and doing audits, which are always seen as political. As soon as he says something critical about a school district or somebody else, they say that's politics. Come on. He would be a great governor. I don't know if he'll do it. Well, our Karen DeWitt this week, Alan, has a story about a new poll that shows that the governor has suffered a toll. While New Yorkers continue to believe the Democrat did a good job leading the state through the COVID-19 pandemic, most believe the multiple women who have accused Cuomo of sexual harassment and do not think the governor should run for office again. So there it is laid out. The governor had an interesting response. He couldn't reckon the idea that he's suffering when people still think he's doing a good job on the pandemic. Well, right. Look, people do think he did a good job on the pandemic. He was so convinced that they did feel that way that he wrote a book claiming credit, in my opinion, way too early. And as it turns out, that's the case. He got $4 million in advance. And people don't understand that. But book companies were all in the bidding. Of course, you know, here was a guy who was a hero. He was on almost every day on CNN giving a briefing. That was in contrast to Donald Trump, especially in New York, who people really hated, and appropriately so. And the way it's going now is that everything changed. Out came all of these accusations and all of these things that he has to contend with. And yet you can't beat someone with no one. 
Although, to be fair, George Pataki came pretty close to the no-one schema. He was a true who, he, who, W-H-O hyphen, he, question mark. And he stayed there for a long, long time. So, this is a critical time for Cuomo. I've said it a million times. He's Andrew Tough Guy, where everybody else with all of these accusations might be hiding in a corner crying. Not him. He goes forward and says, I'm who I am, and I haven't done anything wrong. And then everybody has to decide, is there anybody who they've got to run against him who can beat him? We don't know that. Legislative Gazette political observer, Alan Shartog. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Officials are hoping the site of the former Beechnut Baby Food Factory off the New York State Thruway at Exit 29 in Canajoharie will soon be home to another industry, cannabis production. The Legislative Gazette's Lucas Willard with more. Three weeks after Governor Andrew Cuomo signed legislation legalizing adult-use recreational marijuana in New York, the Montgomery County Legislature's Economic Development and Planning Committee on Tuesday advanced a measure that, if approved by the county legislature next week, would allow company E29 Labs to pursue a lease purchase agreement for the site. Ken Rose, the county's director of business development, expects the legislature to pass the measure. And then within a couple of weeks, uh, that purchase and purchase and sale agreement uh, with E29 Labs would take place and they would be able to obviously uh, continue to get on site and, you know, start doing their due diligence um, and get their architects and engineers on site. The agreement would allow E29 Labs to move forward with its vision to rehab 60,000 square feet of space on the east side of the Beechnut property. And those buildings will be will include cannabis cultivation, processing, laboratory, packaging, and uh, will be part of their corporate office office functions. E29 Labs is the name of a company reformed by President Sheldon Roberts, who in 2019 approached the county under the name Aruka Farms to establish a hemp processing facility. E29 was formed with Roberts, company CEO Shelley Roberts, and Vice President Michael Dundas, an attorney and entrepreneur who founded Sierra Naturals, Inc., a Massachusetts-based cannabis company that was sold to a Canadian company in 2019. Dundas has served on the Massachusetts Cannabis Advisory Board since 2017. Roberts says he shifted his vision from hemp processing to the recreational marijuana market in anticipation that New York would legalize the drug. Roberts is awaiting New York's formation of a regulatory body. And now they have to form, you know, Office of Cannabis Management, do appointees of different and various positions, and then they got to roll out the applications. So, you know, hopefully that'll happen sooner than later. But, you know, the timeline, I would say, is probably around two years before, you know, the first package goes out the door. If a license is awarded, phase two of E29 Lab's plan would involve the development of up to 100,000 square feet of additional facilities, such as greenhouses. 
Beechnut left the Exit 29 parcel in 2010. Montgomery County and local officials have been hoping to attract a company to the site since before it was acquired by the county in 2018. Millions of dollars have been awarded to remediate the site. Some local leaders have been hoping to bring in a business that would remain tied to the agricultural economy. Roberts thanked officials he's been in communication with over the last two years. Ken over at Business Development, I mean, even uh, Mayor Baker over at Kenneth Jahari as well, like all have been supportive of this. So I have nothing but love and positive things to say about the process uh, that we've been through. Those guys have been an amazing support. Aruka Farms acquired property in Kenneth Jahari in 2018. Robert said he plans on relocating to the Mohawk Valley if his plans for the Exit 29 site get the green light. To view a rendering of the proposed E29 Labs cannabis processing site in Kenajahari, visit wamc.org. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Lucas Willard. The owner of the Indian Point Nuclear Power Plant, the prospective owner, and several stakeholders, including New York State, have reached an agreement regarding the decommissioning of the Westchester County-based plant, This comes as the plant is set to permanently shut down by the end of the month. The Legislative Gazette's Allison Dunn reports. The owner of the Indian Point Nuclear Power Plant, the prospective owner, and several stakeholders, including New York State, have reached an agreement regarding the decommissioning of the Westchester County-based plant. This comes as the plant permanently shuts down by the end of the month. The joint proposal has been submitted to the New York State Public Service Commission for approval and is available for public comment. The provisional agreement was negotiated by New York State, current Indian Point owner Entergy, Holtec International, Westchester County, the local school district and local governments, Riverkeeper, and the Public Utility Law Project. If approved by the PSC, the agreement would transfer ownership of the nuclear power facility to Holtec, which would be responsible for the decommissioning and remediation of the facility and site. Richard Webster is legal program director for Riverkeeper. You know, obviously we didn't get everything we wanted, but we feel like we have definitely by far the best deal in the nation on decommissioning. One point of contention has been the decommissioning trust fund and concerns over whether there would be enough money there. The, the key thing is that uh, Holtec had proposed to take around $600 billion of the $2.1 billion trust fund and use that for spent fuel management. They then had the ability to get some of that money back from the Department of Energy. Um, and what we've agreed is that they will put at least half of that money and up to all of that money back into the trust fund um, when they recover it. So in other words, we've basically made uh, made sure that that $600 million doesn't just disappear into Holtec's coffers before the job is done. The agreement contains several other financial requirements. Governor Andrew Cuomo, speaking Wednesday on a press call ahead of Thursday's announcement, mentioned the upcoming permanent shutdown of the plant. Uh, Closing Indian Point was at one time one of the main progressive causes in this state. It's not being against nuclear power. We have nuclear power plants in this state. It's that Indian Point is the nuclear power plant that is located to the most densely populated area on the globe. The January 2017 announcement that Indian Point would permanently shut down by 2021 sent local leaders into a tailspin about tax revenues. Joseph Hockreiter is superintendent of the Hendrick-Hudson School District. 
Back then, he was concerned about losing 30 percent of the district's revenue, but feels more at ease with this agreement. It gives um, gives those municipalities in the school district um, some breathing room financially. Uh, it gives us a little bit, little more uh, in terms of a pilot agreement that we would have had if Indian Point or Entergy continued to um, operate the plant, even though it's not generating power. Uh, and it's a sign of good faith that. Uh, that uh, Holtec is interested in working together with with all of us. PILOT stands for payment in lieu of taxes. I think the agreement among all of the parties totals $7.5 million, so um, the village receives a bit, the town and the county. Hawkrider says there is a year of breathing room during which Hendrick Hudson will see $4 million from Holtec. What we were aiming to achieve, and when I say we, that includes our friends from the village and the town, um, was... Uh, we were aim, uh, aiming to achieve a, a known quantity for a known period of time um, so we could begin building at least another year out of our financial projection. So it gives us stability. Even one year, um, one year of stability is better than the alternative. And the alternative would have been uh, we'd be fighting and arguing over how much that property should be worth if it were on the tax rolls. A Holtec spokesman pointed to a statement from the company president saying Holtec is pleased to have found common ground and reached consensus with the state and the interested parties on a joint petition that supports the prompt, safe, and efficient decommissioning of Indian Point. An Entergy spokesman also pointed to a statement from the company's chairman and CEO, saying he is pleased to have reached a comprehensive and equitable agreement relative to the prompt decommissioning of Indian Point with the many stakeholders who were involved in the process. Again, Riverkeepers Webster. I mean, I think the important thing is that this gets the cleanup moving quickly. Uh, we're, 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 it's going to state standards rather than federal standards, which are weaker. And uh, it has very tight supervision by the state. If the agreement is adopted, the parties who have sued the Nuclear Regulatory Commission over the license transfer will drop their suits. State Attorney General Letitia James, Riverkeeper, the town of Cortland, and the Hendrick Hudson School District. An NRC spokesman says the commission has no comment on the proposed settlement agreement and will review it. As of April 15th, Unit 3's power level was at 82 percent en route to the permanent shutdown. Indian Point Unit 2 permanently shut down in April 2020. Indian Point Unit 1 was shut down in 1974. Governor Cuomo says trying to shut down Indian Point has been on his agenda for more than two decades because of safety and the plant's proximity to New York City. Uh, And it has been a very long road. I took it up as attorney general with Entergy. We went back and forth, back and forth. Um, But the day has finally come. And people in downstate New York will be the safer for it. That is inarguable. The PSC is slated to vote on the proposal May 13th. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Allison Dunn. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustino. As many still wait to receive a COVID-19 vaccine, you may be wondering what the experience will be like. The Legislative Gazette's Jackie Orchard recently toured the Albany Times Union Center Mass Vaccination Clinic and filed this report. Stay together. 
go right over this way. Okay. Wave in hand, a friendly hand. The Albany Times Union Center, normally a venue for roaring sports fans or concert goers, is transformed into a real-life choose-your-own-adventure book. Except, instead of exploring caves or solving mysteries, you're answering screening questions. Under the age of 60 and able-bodied? Have an appointment? No symptoms? Turn right and take a ride up the escalator. Over the age of 60 or in a wheelchair? Straight ahead on the fast track. Hey, gentlemen. Albany County Health Commissioner Dr. Elizabeth Whalen walks me through the opening sequence, where staff ensure you've signed up for the clinic and that you meet eligibility. People were ushered away so quickly a line didn't form. You might be asked to show a license for your age, or if you're an essential worker, you have to kind of show um, a work ID, and then you come through. So once you check into that area, you come through here to where we're currently standing, which is the main part of the auditorium. Wayland shows me the arena floor. In this hulking venue, the superstars aren't in jerseys or costumes. They're in fluorescent yellow vests layered with masks and face shields, scurrying trays of syringes and raising orange flags to indicate they're ready for another patient. But the massive space doesn't just look cool. Wayland says it's needed so that they can move large numbers of people through while maintaining social distance. As you see, we have people working solely on flow. And after every single pod, we debrief and say, how can we improve the next time? How can we make it better? How can we make it a smoother experience for people that are coming through? About 60 stations with colored flags and vaccine assistants dot the floor. And their job is to take the information and ask some medical questions for screening for everybody that comes in for the vaccine. For example, they might ask about the medications that you take or any health conditions you might have. And if there are any concerns, we have medical evaluators who are usually MDs or pharmacists here to come and speak to those that are being vaccinated, answer any questions that they might have, and then we go forward with vaccine. Every table has a nurse or doctor as well, certified to give the vaccine. Like Darcy Jean Sprague, a 64-year-old retired critical care nurse who volunteers at the clinic at least once a week. She moves between three tables all day, telling patients what to expect and verifying that they can come back for dose number two. I am so happy to be part of something to get us all back together. I retired last year. And so this uh, gives me a purpose. Lloyd Ballou volunteered to speak about his experience. It was very well organized. Um, went upstairs and I, they check your temperature. You come back down. Uh, they check your ID. Um, you come in, you get your shot, and that's pretty much it. But what we all want to know, did it hurt? No, not at all. I didn't even feel it. Really? No. You didn't feel it? No, my guy was pretty good. Reporting from Albany, I'm Jackie Orchard. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2117. Or just listen or podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government, politics, or the Legislative Gazette. I'm David Gustina.